Thanks for listening to the Providence Community Church Podcast. We hope you've been inspired today to love Jesus more deeply. For more information and other ways to connect with us, you can visit us on the web at providencecommunity.org. Good morning. It is always um, an honor and a, a blessing to serve here in my home house. Um, I will let you know, I forgot my shoes this morning. <laughs> Those in the front row can see that I'm standing here in bare feet. I discovered that I forgot my shoes when I went to step out of the car and my flip-flop fell off. Um, I usually wear a little bit of a heel or something. I know I'm small and I, and I think, well, it helps you to see me. Um, but God just really has stirred in my heart and said, you all don't need to see me. <laughs> you need to see him and me diminishing a bit here is the best thing that I can do for you this morning. So um, as God's just stirred that up in my heart, I just left the flip-flops over there and I'm just, this is my altar of worship this morning and I'm standing before you on some holy ground and expecting that God is gonna do a work in us together this morning. Um, my family is in a, a bit of a transitional season in a lot of ways. And one of those transitions is that my oldest son is now engaged and we're planning a wedding in December. So, yay, Austin. Those, those of you that were here for the call to worship, he did the call to worship this morning. And it was a blessing to me as a mom to, to get to see him rising up in his own calling. Um, but the talks of the wedding and planning the wedding have stirred up memories of, of my own story. Um, there's been a lot of parallels between our son's relationship and, and mine and Steve's. So Steve and I will be celebrating 25 years of marriage in September. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, my husband is this guy sitting down in the front row, the loud one that you can hear those, those shouts coming out. Um, he loves to tell people that he has loved me for 29 years and I have loved him for 27. <laughs> Uh, we were friends for two and a half years before we started dating, and it wasn't long into that friendship before he told me that he loved me, only about three months. And apparently, I didn't know quite how to respond to that and told him thank you. <laughs> so that was how the relationship started, but, but he pursued me, and, and we had a friendship, a really great friendship, where we grew to know one another, and I really learned the depth of his love for me and learn to trust that love. And so eventually, two and a half years later, we started, we started dating. And it wasn't very long after that happened that we knew this was the relationship that God had for us, and he proposed to me. So I remember very clearly what he said to me that day. He had surprised me, um, actually blindfolded me, driven me to a little beach. I'm from um, New Hampshire, and I would spend the summers in Massachusetts with my grandmother. And there was a little causeway called Planning Island leading out to a, a place I like to go sit there and, and read. The waves would break on the rocks there. And so he took me to that place and took the blindfold off and, and said, these words to me. He said, three months ago today, you first told me that you loved me. And he said, that day you gave me your heart, and now I'm giving you mine. And he put a little crystal heart box into my hand, and inside that was the ring, and he asked me to marry him. The rest is history. And I praise Jesus that um, because of Jesus being in our relationship, we love each other more now than we did then. 
and that's a beautiful thing. But what I want to talk to you about is that relationships become altogether different when the heart is in it, when the heart is involved. We can relate to all kinds of people from a distance. We can know people, have acquaintances, um, but intimacy is something else, something altogether different. And intimacy is what God is inviting us into, nothing short of that. Intimacy is being vulnerable enough to really love, to open your heart and let someone else in. And that's a rarer thing than most of us care to admit, that kind of level of intimacy. Now, Steve and I had had a relationship for years. We were friends, we hung out together, we knew the same people, spent time together. But even though we knew each other and even liked each other, we were not in a covenant relationship. We hadn't entered into covenant. There was nothing binding, no legal transaction. It was just that we knew each other and we knew a lot about each other. We didn't enter into a covenant until I finally offered him my heart. And that's when that exchange could take place. I opened it up, let him in, and committed my life to love him. That change took place, and I took his name, and I became his. And there's a parallel there to what Jesus is inviting us into. We talk a lot about belonging to Jesus, about bearing his name, being his, but I wonder if some of us have settled for something less than the covenant relationship that establishes that. We know a lot about him, we even like him, we spend time with other people that know him, but if we come to that place where we've taken our heart and offered it, Jesus, what has been mine is now yours. I'm surrendering rights to it, because that's what really it is about. God spoke about that new covenant that he was going to offer his people through Christ's blood in Ezekiel 36, 26, and this is how he described it. He said, I'm gonna give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. When we put our faith in Jesus and we enter into that covenant relationship that saves us, an exchange is supposed to take place. We offer our heart, Jesus takes it as his own, and then he gives us his. And we enter into a covenant relationship that moves us from out here in the world and into his, his family, into the kingdom of light. He gives us that new heart and a new spirit that legally seals us. But our part is to willingly offer him that heart. It's a requirement to move us into that salvation. And see, he will never take what is not surrendered. Until we come to the place where we will offer that heart freely, it's yours. That's what happened with me 20 years ago. Just being convicted that I did not love him, didn't know how to love him, but just said, here it is. I don't know how to do this. I don't have the answers, but I'm giving you my heart. And that's the moment that everything changed. The Holy Spirit came in and took residency. My heart began to look more and more like his. We will never offer our hearts to God if we have a false view of him. We won't. And so I'm asking God to reveal his heart to us today, to show us who he really is 
and to show us who we really are too and where we may be falling in this picture of am I operating in covenant? Have I first of all entered the covenant? And if I have, am I operating in the promises available to me there? I recently was watching a message by Christine Kane and she was asking this question. How is it possible for believers who come to church week after week, yet they remain in bondage? Same question that God's been stirring in my own heart for years. Just stirred it up again as I'm hearing this other communicator speak the same word. How can we sit in a pew every single Sunday, sometimes for 20 years, and be still bogged down with the same chains that we started with? The same fear, the same anxiety, the same depression. People, church attenders being just overcome by the oppressive hand of the enemy. It should not be. Christianity was never meant to be a theory. It's really supposed to work. The cross really does pour out power. Dead hearts are supposed to awaken. Captive hearts should find freedom. So it begs the question, what are we missing? How can this be happening? Because it doesn't make sense according to the word of God. And that's what we're asking God to show us this morning. What are we missing? What lies? have been embedded into our belief system that keep us from living out the promises available to us. Because truth sets us free. God declares it, I've lived it. Truth sets us free. So if we are not operating in freedom, if we are not living in that freedom, it means that there is a lie someplace in me, and most of us have many of them, that is blocking the grace that is released through receiving truth. And so we need to open our hearts to receive truth. Sometimes we don't like that truth at first because it shows us sometimes where we really are. But we gotta understand that that truth is also the grace of God showing us where we are so that we can take that step of faith and move to where we need to be so that in his love he can manifest all his promises to us. So this morning we're gonna look at two different passages of scripture. Each one contains two people who respond very differently to God. And we're going to ask God to show us where we fall in this place. Um, in a little bit, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 14. So if you want to, those of you who like to get your places marked, you can go ahead and um, put something there. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 4. Now this may be a familiar passage of scripture. This is if you've grown up in the church or been to Sunday school at all. This is one of those stories that, that we learn in Sunday school. Talking about Cain and Abel, two brothers. And we're going to read through it this morning and see what God wants to show us. Maybe give us a fresh word from it today. Genesis chapter 4 starting in verse 1. says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore, his, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, 
but you must rule over it. Anybody else ever been bothered by this story? I used to wrestle with it as a kid, not understanding. Why would he accept one and reject the other? That's what we're hoping that God will show us today. It wasn't that one brought sheep and the other brought vegetables. I used to think that that's what it was, right? Well, he's all about the animal sacrifice. So it was just the fact that, that he brought the vegetables, but it wasn't that. One was a farmer and the other a shepherd. And God calls us to give from what has been entrusted to us. So that's not what this is about. Man looks at the outward appearance. God always, always looks at the heart behind the action. That's always what he's after. We judge by what we see. God also judged by what he sees, but he looks on the inside. So what was going on in the hearts of these men that made one acceptable and the other not? We see the distinction in verse 3, which begins, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel then brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. So here's what we see. In the course of time, after some time had passed, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. And then it makes a distinction that Abel brought the firstborn. He brought the first one, the first one that was born. He gave God the first and also the best. It says he's the fat portions. The very best he brought before the Lord and offered it to him. Now what does that indicate if I'm going to give God my first, the very first sheep that is born in my flock? If I'm a shepherd, my livelihood comes from the birth of those sheep. And the very first one he takes and offers to the Lord to be sacrificed. What does that say about his heart? He trusted that God would provide more. That lamb was given in faith that it would take nothing from him to offer it to the Lord. In fact, offering it to God would multiply it. And the blessing of God would be upon it. But Cain, it says, after the course of time, just brought some. So here we see Abel trusting God, believing, understanding God, you are the one who owns everything. Anything that is provided to me was given by you. And God, I just honor you by returning to you the first portion of what you have given me, trusting that you're going to provide more and give me the rest. Abel, though, waited for some time to pass and then gave God some. What was he doing? Making sure he had enough for himself gathering what he knew he needed. And once he had enough, what he determined to be enough, okay, now I can give some to God. Do you see the distinction between the two? We always act out of what we believe. This is why faith is so important to God. And our actions always demonstrate our beliefs. So Abel trusted, Cain did not. God is always after our faith. It's what it's been from the beginning. It has not changed. It wasn't once law and then faith. It was always about faith. The call of Abraham was, come Abraham, by faith, leave everything you've known and come to a land I'll show you. A land you've not seen, but just know me and trust my goodness that where I'm taking you is going to be a good land. And he went. 
That's faith. This is what God honors, faith. And so God saw the heart of Abel. Abel had the heart of a kingdom son, the heart of a covenant heir. He knew who he was. He knew he was loved by God, that he didn't have to earn anything. He just with joy returned the portion that God asks for. He says, give me the first. It's a principle you'll see all throughout scripture. That's a lesson for another time. But always, he says, just give me the first and that will be an act of trust that demonstrates you know that I will provide the rest. That you know it does not take from you to give to me. It's with the measure that we give that we receive. Pressed down, running over. So Abel had the heart of that kingdom son. He knew he was loved. He knew he bore the name of his father and all that belongs to the father is available to him as long as he's just loving him and trusting and it becomes available to us. He gave the first and the best knowing God could be trusted and that giving God would not diminish his own portion, it would multiply it. See, that's the nature of our God. He's a giver. He's a giver. He gave of himself on that cross and he gives lavishly lavishly. The only way that we do not receive what he gives is to not trust him. And we keep doing things our own way and wondering why we don't see him. Abel saw God with a proper view and then acted on what he saw. Cain, on the other hand, didn't trust God's provision. He trusted his own. Well, I've worked this land. I've earned this for myself, in his mind, he had worked for what he had and he deserved it. And it was his responsibility to provide for himself. But he went through the routine of giving to God. He still made a sacrifice. He still brought some and put it on the altar, but it was not a sacrifice made in faith. It was a sacrifice made out of duty, not love. He outwardly honored God by giving an offering, but inwardly, he did not. There are many scriptures that speak about the first fruits that God asks of us. One of them is Exodus 23, 19. And God says, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Give me your first and your best. That's how you demonstrate that you trust me. Cain didn't offer his best, he kept the best for himself. So what do you think that indicates about his heart? What would it indicate about ours? Not only did Cain not trust God for his provision that he would provide, but Cain found himself more worthy of the best portions than God. Mm. That he found himself more worthy of the best than he found God. We talk a lot in here about worship. How worship is not just singing songs, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Am I living a life that declares with everything in me, you are worthy, Lord, to receive all that I am. You are worthy, Lord, to receive my best and my first. You are worthy. When we withhold it, we are acting on what we believe. I am more worthy. I am more worthy. God's grace is available to us through two things, faith and humility. Both of those things access the grace of God according to scripture. And Cain had none of, neither of those. 
He went through the motions of an offering, but his heart was not in it. He thought he deserved it more, and he thought that he had earned it. God is looking at our hearts far more than our actions. He sees the things we do, but he sees inside, and that is far more significant to him. He declares in Hosea 6, 6, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He says, I don't want your sacrifice if it is not given in love. I don't want it. There's a passage in Malachi chapter one where God is talking about how his heart is burdened over the offerings that his people are bringing him. And it describes that they are not bringing the first and the best, they're bringing the blemished lambs. They're keeping the best for themselves, offering some, same principle that we see here with Cain, but holding the best for themselves. And God declares in Malachi one, oh, that somebody would just shut the door to my temple so that people would stop lighting these useless fires on my altars. Can you imagine God saying that? It would be better that someone would just shut the door to my house than for my people to keep bringing what they're bringing to me. He is looking for a heart, not our outward appearance, what is going on inside of us. And so we see this contrast in Cain and Abel, one giving out of duty, one in love and faith, one trusting his own works, the other God's provision. How are we operating in our day? Are we literally walking in trust? Or do we say we have faith, but live trusting our own provision? Because that's what Cain was doing. A kingdom son knows his father and gives with joy because he knows that giving to God never diminishes our portion. It always increases it. Always, that's who God is. He is a multiplier. He is a multiplier and he is after eternal fruit. But until it is given, it cannot be multiplied. In the miracle with Jesus, when he's breaking the bread and the fish and he's giving it, that multiplication miracle, when did it multiply? When it was given. He blessed it, broke it, gave it. He didn't have enough before it was given. It was given and in the giving it was multiplied. If we are holding our hearts back from God, we will not experience the miracle of multiplication. We will not experience the blessing of God flowing and pouring out in our lives. We guard our hearts, we hold our things so close to us, and then we look and we blame God. Why aren't you blessing it? Why aren't you multiplying it? He says, I'm looking for the one true offering that I seek from you is you. Give me your heart so that I can give you mine. So Cain sees that his offering is not acceptable, the one he made grudgingly. And now he's mad that it isn't enough. It's the way the flesh works, isn't it? We get mad at God for what is really our responsibility. And we see the beauty of God's heart displayed here as he pursues Cain. Cain is rejecting him, yet he is still coming after him. He's there having a conversation with him, recorded for us in scripture, pursuing him and speaking to him. And he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? What is he asking? If you would just trust me, if you would just stop operating in your self-sufficiency and just come to me as a son. I just want you to come to me as a son, Cain. 
Will you not be accepted if you will just open your heart and trust me? And then he says, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. He's saying to him, you're about to cross a line that you're not going to be able to come back from. This bitterness that is rising in your heart, this comparison with what's going on in your brother's life versus what's going on in yours. This is not of me. It desires to have you. That's the nature of sin. Always beckoning us away from God and into dangerous darkness. And Cain's self-sufficiency and misunderstanding of grace made him unable to give it. He couldn't forgive. He couldn't bless his brother. He couldn't extend grace to him. When we give sin ground, it will always take more. And we end up places we never expected to be. And we read in the next scriptures, recorded for us the first murder taking place on earth. Brother killing a brother. Because he could not understand or operate in love and grace. Do you see why God is calling us into his bosom so that he can bring forth the fruit of who he is? Because he always gives life. Our enemy, the God of self, takes it. He takes it. We can end up places we never expected to be. I want to look now at a story in, a new, in the New Testament, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 14. This is a scripture where Jesus is anointed at Bethany. We're going to read through the passage together starting at verse 3, and then we'll take some time to walk through it. Verse 3 begins, And while he, speaking of Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What she has done. It is the only place in scripture where we see recorded for us God making this kind of a declaration about somebody. This moment here, he tells us, this moment, there is something so significant and so special about this moment that he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this moment will be remembered. He pays special attention to it. So let's see if we can understand what was so significant about what was happening. The first thing that I wanna point out from this passage comes from verse four. And it is when they watched Mary come and break this flask and pour out this act of adoration and worship over the Lord, some took offense to it. Some were offended by the fact that she was worshiping Jesus in that way and actually believed that Mary's gesture was wasted on Jesus. Wasted on him. We sing here every Sunday morning, 
All hail, King Jesus. We proclaim you worthy. But do our hearts come in line with what we sing? Do we see sometimes someone else's act of worship and take offense to it? Extravagant adoration, extravagant giving when we don't understand it. Does our heart get hardened and take offense to that? Because that's what was happening here. Look at the heart behind that statement. It says, Jesus is not worth that kind of gift. Same heart attitude that we saw in Cain. You're not worth the best, God. I'll give you some, but not the best. I'll give you some, Jesus, but you're not worth that. That's what, that's what it's declaring. I wanna talk for a minute about the value of the gift. Verse five says that it was worth over 300 denarii, and a denarius was equal to one day's wage in that time. So this gift was worth just about a year's wages. One whole year of working was what it was worth, and it was taken and broken and poured out in one moment, given. Let's just talk about that for a minute in our own terms. That median household wage in 2017 was $61,372. What would you do if you possessed something worth a year's wages? For argument's sake, let's just diminish it down even. Say it was $40,000. $40,000. You had something. Would you take that and offer it to Jesus with joy? Or would that be a waste in your mind? Would we not rather spend it on ourselves? Do we believe that we deserve it and are worth it more than him? That's the picture, that's what's happening here. The potential, a gift, having a gift with the potential to do amazing things for you. And let's consider for a moment the question of why Mary would have such a gift something worth that much money. Most commentaries believe that it was probably represented her dowry. It was what she had that was a promise for her future, for marriage, for children. In Mary's day, a woman had value when one thing happened. She found a husband and she could bear children, and she had sons. That was the worth of a woman in her culture, in her time. Her whole identity would be found in that. Makes me weep when I think of what she sacrificed. It represented her future, her earthly dreams, everything that the world and her culture said gave her identity and value and purpose. And she took it and she presented it to Jesus. She just broke it, broke it and poured it out. And Jesus says, this moment, this moment, this is what it's about. She saw herself as an heir to the kingdom. She gave up her dreams, believing that Jesus was worth it, that she was not losing anything by giving it to him. She was gaining everything. See, that's the truth, brothers and sisters, it's the truth. We believe that when God calls us to sacrifice something, we're giving something up. It is the way in to the receipt of everything that God has for us. 
Give and you will receive. With the measure that you use, it will be restored back to you. Not only restored, lavished over. And it comes down to do we believe what God says or not? Is it true or is it not true? It's true. It's true. I'm living the promises. It's true. I want so desperately for you to know he is worth any sacrifice that we can make. Any sacrifice that we can make. It will not rob from us. It restores. It saves. It pulls back on us the very thing that we give. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you are trying to preserve your own life here on earth, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake, you will find it. You will find it. Give me your heart. Trust me. That is the invitation. Mary was willing to lose her earthly life for Jesus' sake, and she found it. And Jesus marked this moment in Scripture with special significance. This moment. This will be declared everywhere the gospel is proclaimed. This moment. Now, I want you to see that Judas... One of the 12 disciples traveling for three years in ministry with Jesus had a very interesting response to this outpouring. If we just keep reading in the very next verse, verse 10 tells us this, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. I want you to note that this moment, this lavish gift of adoration was the catalyst that sent Judas to betray Jesus. This moment, this was the trigger, the thing that broke it and sent him over the edge. This moment, what was going on there? He watched this outpouring of love and he was so offended by it so offended by it that he left there to search out the enemies of his teacher and friend to betray him. What in the world was happening there? Well, John chapter 12 gives us a little more insight into what was going on in Judas's heart and mind. In verse 5 and 6, we read this from Judas's thoughts. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Can you picture it? He's there traveling with Jesus. Outwardly, he looks everything like every one of the other disciples. Nobody can tell. Secretly, in the secret places of his heart, he has positioned himself with Jesus to his own advantage. He's wanting to take from what belongs to Jesus. And so while nobody knows, when funds are coming in, he's taking a portion and putting it in his own money bag, providing for himself, not trusting God to provide for him. And so when he sees this lavish outpouring, all he can see is what it's costing him personally. That that year's wages should have been something he was dipping into. 
and he was not permitted to because it was offered not not to the treasury, but right to the Lord. And all he could see was what it was costing him. And he was so offended that he went to the chief priest to betray his friend. For what? For money. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Judas' downfall was that he did not love Jesus. He found himself more worthy of honor than Jesus. If we are going to move out of our bondage and into God's promises, we need to get honest. Only truth sets us free. Do I have the heart of a Mary or a Judas? A Cain or an Abel? Because one is acceptable. Living is an heir and one is not. One is falling short of the faith that saves, the love that ushers us into the kingdom. Have you surrendered your heart, ready to go all in and trust that God will do what he says he will do? Are you trying to build your own kingdom? Just expecting that your proximity to Jesus, I go to church every Sunday, I hang out with people that love him and talk about him, I know him. We just expect that that's gonna make his blessings fall. When Christ returns, he will reveal the motives of our hearts. God is not deceived. He will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. According to the word of God, he has given us a way out in the cross. But we have to receive it. And we receive it when we first offer our heart. It's the way to receive it. We can look like Jesus on the outside, but it is the heart that matters. Jesus said that his own would be recognizable by their fruit, not their works. Their fruit, there's a distinction. We like to interchange those two. Fruit is what comes out of the inside. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's fruit. By your fruit, you will recognize them. Works, anybody can do works. Judas did works. We need to understand that Judas was no more evil than you or me. His job was serving in the community, helping people. That's what he did. On the outside, he looked like a great guy. He was serving the poor. He was traveling with Jesus. Nobody knew. The disciples did not know. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they all looked at each other and said, is it me? They didn't say, oh, it must be Judas. He's that one that can't heal the sick when we all can. Oh, no, he could. You hear his preaching? He can't preach very well. Oh, no, he could. He had been anointed by God to do it. He preached. He healed the sick. He drove out demons. He did works of the Lord. But he did not surrender his heart. And it is only in the surrender of the heart that we come into the kingdom of God. It is only one way, one way. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who did Judas serve? Money. Outwardly he served the Lord, but where did his heart serve? Money. We will serve what we love.
See, our service and our works will be a natural flow of the outpouring of our love of the Lord. That's what happened in my life. I just gave him my heart. And I continue every day to just keep giving him my heart. And you know what? He just keeps trusting me with more. He just keeps trusting me with more because I prove fa- I've proved faithful in the little. And I know that my only safe place is in the secret place of intimacy with God, letting him continue to feed that and pour into that. Because if I would separate myself from my intimacy with Jesus for one minute, for one day, I open myself up to the thief who will take from me. Our safe place is in the dwelling of the Lord, the shelter of his intimacy. When we hide our heart in his heart and then God himself protects it. The enemy can't have at it there. But when we separate ourselves from God, when we let it be about works and not love, that's right where the enemy wants us. Because he's a slave driver and a slave maker. And he can make us a slave to work in a blink before we knew what's happening. You know that Judas immediately regretted his decision. We read in Matthew 27, 3, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Guilt immediately falls on him. He changed his mind and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. That was his end. That was his end. Do you know that that's how the enemy always, always, always works in our lives? He tempts us with something. He tries to keep our heart attached to something, something physical, something monetary, something of this earth. He dangles it, convinces us we need it. We go after that thing and immediately shame falls upon us and we are operating in regret and are pressed down. And Jesus all the while is saying, come to me. I'll get you out of this, just trust me. Judas went and hanged himself. Jesus is asking for our hearts for our own sakes. Judas Judas withheld his heart from Jesus and self-destructed. God wants to offer us an opportunity this morning to step into covenant with him as we are meant to. Have you been withholding your heart? Today's the day. Today's the day. Just surrender to who he is. Will you see him as he is? A loving God beckoning you into safety, into his preservation. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot. You need him to do it. And if you have entered in but are still living this life as a slave bound to some things in this world that you know are self-destructive, you can offer them to him today. We want to just offer you a time to be able to come forward and to pray. I would ask the members of the prayer team to come forward. Let's just